Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. And listeners, I have to give you a big thank you. Last week, we tried a new type of episode, a compilation of a chef's life with some of the best stories and advice from chefs that had been on our podcast. And it turned out to be one of the most downloaded. So this week, we are bringing you another compilation of fantastic leaders, the general managers of hotels. And today, we're going to have Mary Rogers of Montage Hotels, Mohan Koka of Kimpton Hotels, Gabriel Constantine of Trump Hotels, David Araya of Six Senses Hotels, and Amy Johnson of Hyatt Hotels. I hope you enjoy this special episode of these fantastic leaders. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. All right, welcome to another edition of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I am very excited to have my friend Mary Rogers, the general manager of the Montage Hotel Laguna Beach here with us. So yes, how did you navigate that kind of way to get to that GM, right? Because everyone competes for that top spot in these yeah. mega hotels. And believe me, we have and had amazing executives working at the Fountain Blue. And at the time, even, they were all very capable and very successful and very competent in their own way. I was very clear. And for those hoteliers that are listening or the young people, hopefully, that are listening, yep. I was very clear about achieving my goals. And my goal was to become a general manager by the age of 40. And at the time, I had communicated that to, you know, my, my boss and, and the ownership. It was really up to them if they were going to make it happen for me at the Fountain Blue. Or if it wasn't, I was, was comfortable making it work somewhere else. So I think it's important to communicate what your goals are and work towards them. And any of the shortcomings that they had shared that I needed to work on, if I needed to do a better job in revenue management, or if I needed to learn the food and beverage side a little bit better, which was all feedback I had received and certainly actioned, just really not being afraid to ask for what you want and going after it and just really navigating the waters through all of the other wonderful leaders that I would work with at the time. So when they had to make that decision, I know there was our, our vice president of South Marketing was a, a wonderful, capable candidate. There was someone coming up on, on the culinary food and beverage side that was a wonderful candidate. But fortunately, I think that communicating what I wanted and when I wanted it and working towards um, achieving it in a timely manner was really what made me successful in that role and still was able to carry on and have good relationships and very good relationships with the other people that I work with. So 
I think it's yeah. just to be very clear what you want when you want it and, and to communicate your goals and also to solicit feedback on things that you need to improve on is just a really smart way to work towards those. That's awesome advice. I think yeah. that's a lot of people can learn from doing that, being very clear what they want, right? Yeah, because like someone's going to call on me to be that. Yeah, that. exactly, exactly. And especially in hotels, because like you said, Steve, there are very capable and comparable people that work there. So when you are surrounded with that talent and you do want to grow, I think it's important to make clear what your expectations and your goals are so that everyone around you can help you fulfill them. So I was very fortunate that um, did happen for me. So, and, and I had a wonderful boss that believed in me and, and really respected my goals and really helped me achieve them, which is amazing. So when you got that, they announced mm -hmm. it, and you sit yeah. down at your new desk for the first time as general manager, uh -huh. first female mm -hmm. general manager. Did you remember that feeling? Did you kind of soak it in or was it just like, hey, I've been here already and I'm going to keep running? No, no, <laughs> I really did. It's funny. I really did soak it in because it was a huge accomplishment for the hotel. The hotel had been open since 2008. So the hotel had been open 10 years and they had not had the, the position for a long time. So the fact that they had selected me to do the role, I was really honored and really, I felt really privileged. So I did. I, I soaked it in and... I really spent time obviously appreciating how far I had come personally and professionally and also really just took time to acknowledge those that helped me along the way. And then obviously, as we always do, then I started thinking how I was going to make a difference and how I was going to act differently in my new role because I come up through the hotel operation side, but I had a whole other area of the hotel that I was now responsible for and how I was going to lead that team and obviously continue to make sure the hotel was successful. Right. That's something I've seen. That was my next question. So once you're in that role, really, you're transitioning to more like the revenue management and sales and yeah. money into the hotel, right? And leaning on your other departments. Was there something mm -hmm. that really surprised you when you started that was like, wow, I didn't expect all this? It's interesting because, again, coming up through hotel operations side, Steve, you, you're, you're, the part that you're not necessarily as involved in, in that component is the food and beverage side. The food and beverage side is, is obviously run by very capable and competent VP of food and beverage and culinary, and they did a great job. And I had necessarily not been very involved in that side of it, mm -hmm. even though I had you know done a lot of work through the years through banquets and catering convention services there. So honestly, the part for me that was is it was a little different was understanding how food and beverage and culinary run. It's very different from the experience that I had growing up in hotels. Mm -hmm. So really getting my head around the food and beverage side of things was interesting, especially the Fountain Blue, because it is a massive component of the business. And it just runs very differently than hotel operations. The, the, the leaders think differently, they yeah. act differently, they, they strategize differently. And mm -hmm. then getting my head around that was probably the the most difficult um, part of it personally for me the food the revenue side the marketing side the sales and marketing side was all familiar to me obviously i had a lot to learn but i was more i would say i was way more familiar with that side of the business than i was mm -hmm. on the food and beverage side so getting used to that and how they all operated and functioned on a daily basis was a big adjustment for me i spent a lot of time on it quite honestly because i, I it took me a while to understand that the the philosophies of those food and beverage people, quite honestly, those wonderful food and beverage people. Like me, we're all a little crazy. And I like to say, yes. there's a little bit of black and white. It's very black and white in certain departments, but there's a lot of gray in food and yes. beverage. Yeah, right? and coming up to the room side, you know, there's like the room, it's just like you said, it's black and white and this is what it is. There's arrivals, departures, you're carrying the house, whatever it mm -hmm. is. And then food and beverage, there's a lot of gray on their day. So yeah. truthfully for me, learning the culture of running the food and beverage side of hotels was, was a big 
was a big challenge and one that I really accepted and spent a lot of time focusing on. So, it, but it was amazing because learning it at the Fountain Blue was an exceptional opportunity and experience. But nice. yeah, it was different. Yeah, we work with a lot of artists, we say, right? Yes. So a lot of artists in that food is and a, beverage. That is a wonderful <laughs> way to put it. Yes. Artists, if that's what you want to call them. That's okay. what I say. Like, you're being an artist today, man. Get out of, get yes. out of here. Yes. Just go make yes. this happen today. So, so yeah, that good. was definitely a transition. And I would like, it's funny because, you know, to tell the listeners, like my, I, I would come home at night and I would talk to my husband who grew up in food and beverage mm-hmm. and he thought I was crazy. And I thought he was crazy. Like it was, it's just very different thinking. Yeah. And it was hilarious. Some of the discussions we'd have, he'd be like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, no, seriously, what's wrong with you? So it was funny. So now you're at top of the Fontainebleau. You're yes. at the, the biggest hotel, which is how many rooms? Like, I always get confused. 1,200 rooms? 1,504. Okay, 1,504 rooms. Keeps growing every time I talk to somebody. 1,504 so, rooms. It's, de- it's definitely 1,504, actually. I can okay. tell you. I know that. Good. So, I've, so, so that to your point, I've come a long way from the bed and breakfast. Yeah, before. from the six rooms to the 1,504 <laughs> rooms with mega nightclubs and top-of-the-world restaurants and giant yeah. pool and beach resort. Right. And now... You've come to a new location and Uh tell us about where you're at now. Yeah. So just this past April, so April, 2021, I joined Montage International. I joined as general manager for their Laguna Beach property, which is the first Montage that opened for Montage International in 2003. It's their flagship property. Mm -hmm. Mr. Freshman, who is the founder of Montage, Mr. Alan Freshman had a vision that he wanted to create his own uh, hotel company and he came here in 2002 and saw this beautiful piece of land and knew this is where he wanted to launch his hotel company and opened the Montage Laguna Beach in February 2003. I actually got involved last January when they called me to consider taking the job as the general manager at this hotel. And I very politely declined the lovely headhunter who called me and thought he was crazy Mm -hmm. for asking me to relocate my family to Southern California from Miami. And fast forward through continuous annoyance, I would say, the headhunter had asked me to take some calls with the leadership team at Montage. And I did. And again, they were all lovely and gracious and kind and all the things you want for someone who's soliciting a future employee. But I really was not interested in leaving South Florida. And I never had thought about leaving the Fountain Blue because I had very much enjoyed working there. And I had been there for 12 years, albeit Thankfully, in the last three years at that point, I had been in a relatively new role. So I was very comfortable where I was. And then last February, I believe, I they set up a meeting for me to meet Mr. Freshman in person. And again, he is the founder of um, wow. Montage. And he flew into Fort Lauderdale and we had a, a two and a half hour dinner. And it was the beginning of the end, really, because after meeting with him, I just knew I wanted to be part of his hotel company. He had started it from nothing and he had a very clear vision what he wanted in terms of service and how he wanted to treat all the associates and making sure that the locations that he selected were so unique with the best service and that they would become a world-class hotel. And at the time when I spoke to him, I think there was 
seven or eight hotels in their portfolio. Today they've now got 12 and they're opening another, they're doubling in size in the next five to 10 years. So listening to him and talking to him and hearing his journey and his personal story, I just knew I wanted to be part of it. Similar to the feeling I had when I met Mr. Sofer and, and joined his hotel company 12 years earlier, I just, it felt right. And I was at a phase in my life where I could have easily stayed at Fountain Blue for another 12 years, but something inside me told me that the calling to join Montage was probably the, the right next move in my career. And fast forward through lots of hard decisions and hard conversations and lots of personal growth myself in terms of this decision, because it not only affected me, it affected my team at the Fountain Blue, but also my husband and my two daughters. We just reflected this was the opportunity, the next, the right next opportunity for my career. And I joined, left Fountain Blue after 12 years last April and joined Montage a week later, which was, has been a spectacular journey. It's definitely been an incredible, busy and venture-filled year, but certainly one that I know that is the right journey for my next hospitality career. So I'm very excited to to come up here in the next few months for my, my one-year anniversary with them and looking forward to what the future continues to hold as we lead this flagship hotel for Montage. So it's exciting. It's amazing that time flies that fast. I feel like you, I know. you, you just left. All right. But, I know. You know. It's been a crazy year. But listen, I, I will say, and I think I'm, I have to be very transparent with everyone, it was a tremendously difficult decision. As I shared with you, I was extremely happy and content and satisfied working for Fountain Blue and for Mr. Sofer. It was a wonder. It is a wonderful hotel company, and I don't regret a single day of it. But for those that are in this crossroads, or if anyone's listening, thinking about the next steps, or thinking what where you should go next, really is just to really look hard and deep at the opportunities that you're given and making be not afraid to take a chance and with the easier the, the road less travel would have been easy for me to stay at the fountain blue but definitely this was something that pushed me and pushed me outside my limits and i'm glad it did because it's been an exceptional experience and i definitely feel as a hotelier that i grow every day with this opportunity and again like i said i look forward to continue to grow and learn and, and see what the future takes me with montage international i love that because there's so many people who are they feel stuck and they're afraid right. to make a move sometimes. And you had the guts to really make a big move to, but to a beautiful place with a great company. Yeah, and so it is. it's great advice for anyone listening. Cause I know there's, you and I know a lot of people that I think are yeah. in those kind of shoes, right? This yeah. It's just very comfortable. Yeah. And I was very fortunate, Steve, John, I was very fortunate to have a wonderful support system in my husband, because honestly, mm -hmm. the decision to relocate from Southern South Florida to Southern California was a tremendous decision. And just having his support and, and honestly, his encouragement to be brave enough to make the move was huge. So another piece of advice, making sure that you have that spousal support or that support at home to make sure because it's, it's imperative to your success and to your, the transition, quite honestly. I am excited to have today Mr. Mohan Koka, General Manager of the Surfcomer Hotel on Miami Beach. I appreciate you being here with me today. You grew in sales, right? So I don't want to hit every position, but you got to be director of national accounts. Is that where you're at in sales? I did. Right? I and did. So, so Sabina's brother, Alex, mm -hmm. who we know very well. So um, say Alex Tonarelli, Ocean Reef president. Alex. We hope to get him on the show at some point soon. <laughs> <laughs> he had a life-changing impact in, in my career. He met me during my, my stint of my management training program in sales and said, Mohan, you should not be in operations. You need to come into sales. Alex, I, I don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. I'll teach you. 
you need to come to sales. And uh, he had me convinced and believed in me, despite zero experience in it, and brought me in as a junior sales manager, access sales, and, and helped me grow and taught me. And he would sit and have these educational sessions on how to have an effective phone call on how it's more important as a salesperson to be a good listener than to be a talker. And really the basics of selling and understanding and, and probing and finding the need behind the need and so on and so forth. And he stood by my side and watched as I learned and grew and made mistakes and helped pick me up. So I'm eternally grateful for his his guidance and support and so i ended up staying in sales for a lot longer than i thought i would be at mm -hmm. initially five years and became a director of national accounts and then debbie castillo who was the director of sales and marketing at the time and another huge sponsor and mentor of, uh, of mine talked to me once and said rohan you are you are very good at selling but i strongly think you would be great in operations you said you wanted to be a general manager and these can be parallel paths sometimes so the longer you stay here sometimes the farther you get from what your goal is and you can be an effective gm as a salesperson but you have sales in your in your toolkit you need to get the rest of operations in your toolkit too and um, so she helped guide me back into operations and then i moved from being director of national accounts to assistant director of housekeeping and that's where I really started interacting with you. Like I'd seen you, you know, I said, oh, there come the sales guys walking around the hotel, right? <laughs> and then you went into housekeeping, which is like the hardest department, you know, that I've seen like that, especially now that I had to do cleaning of rooms this past year. What was that experience like where you jumped into that from being one of the sales guys that are enjoying all the lunches and all the right. perks? What was that big change like? It was a, a dramatic shift. And I had a, I developed a sense of sales arrogance, if you can call it that, <laughs> uh, over time. And I thought I knew it all when I moved to housekeeping. And I didn't even realize the impact that I was having on younger leaders that had worked really hard over the years. And I realized after a, a month or two, I realized that I was having such a detrimental impact on, on them and and the way they viewed me even though what i thought i was doing was trying to help them get better and make the department more efficient and bring ideas that they wouldn't have thought of and so on was there a conversation that sticks in your mind like wow you know i'm not doing this the best i can or was there a moment yes so i decided to to improve the the supervisory inspection process and thought that there was a lot of missed opportunity there and Keep in mind that I'd only been there for a few weeks to maybe a month and a half or so. So rather than taking the time to learn uh, people and the operation and understand the why, I was like, I see opportunity here. I see. I started to think like a consultant yep. um, and, and started to say, this can be better, this can be better, and, and so on. And so I took this uh, supervisory inspection process and said, okay, let's change the form. Let's change how we do this. Let's change how we measure success in this, how many inspections and so on. And the training manager in that department at the time, who we know quite well as well, Ursula, was like, okay, I was her leader. So she had to go through with what I was suggesting and so on. But I impacted her morale so dramatically and made her feel that she wasn't doing a good job and she didn't 
have things under control because my ideas came across as superior. Whether they were or not is irrelevant. Then my approach, and I don't think I'm somebody that speaks down or, or is condescending in any way, but my ideas came across as that. And my drastic effort or my effort to make drastic changes without mm -hmm. really seeking first to understand came across as condescending. And I got Sabina pulled me in and talked to me and said, I can't remember if it is Sabina or Susanna at the time, but talked to me and listen, I know you, but yep. this is the impact that you're having. Wow. Uh, and I don't think that's your intent. So you probably need to recalibrate. And it was an awakening and uh, a, a really important one. And then I was able to pivot and stop with my, with my idea generation and, and, start, and I started to shut up and listen. Yeah, and that was a useful, a really uh, game-changing moment for me. And the moment I started to listen, and I tell my kids this all the time, there's a reason we have two of these and one of this. And I started to see, really understand how significant one my role was and how significant each of these other leaders' roles were. were. And I had failed to see that. And then I started to listen to the voices of the room attendants and the housemen and the public area attendants and started to build connections with them, which I have to this day after I, I left housekeeping in 2011 and, and, and I still feel connected to some of those housekeepers. And that that moment presented a shift for me in my operations career again. And, and the way the leaders started to see me again, now I had to rebuild my credibility with them as not the one that just came from sales and the know-it-all kind of leader, but somebody who's humble again and who's open to learning and willing to listen and making change or creating, influencing change for the right reasons. Yeah, so, you, just, you just shared so much good information, right? Just in that story, right? I think that people will get such value from of really getting that mind shift because a lot of people can't do it right they don't have the patience or the want to do it and just shows the kind of character you have where you took the criticism a lot of people could have snapped back said, i'm gonna get rid of this person and build my own team but you did it a different way and i think it explains why you kept growing right within the company i'm very excited to have my friend, Gabriel Constantine, the managing director of the Trump International Hotel and Tower in Chicago, one of the most iconic buildings in the country. You know, so, I'm curious, right, because your goal is five stars. Is that posted everywhere? Is that everyone's mission is to get there and you talk about it daily? Or is it simply you just care about your team and they care about what they're doing? How do you get a team to get to that level? First, you have to care for them and about them. That's right. number one. But number two is you need to talk about force not every day. 100 times a day. There you go. So you need both. You need to take care of them and they need to follow you in your dream to conquer that. If they don't follow you, what's a leader without his team following? Just a man walking around, right? Right. So to be a leader and for them to breathe the same way you do, you need to talk about it a thousand times a day. Like today, for instance, is 12.45 now. We started mm -hmm. at 12. Yep. From 8 to 12 in the four hours, I attended four lineups and we talk only about Forbes and how to take care of our guests. It's amazing. So you have to do it every day, all day long. And it's just to have the true passion, right? You have to right. lead it and you have to hold people accountable, right? If they're not matching it. Remember, our Trump brand is built upon two very, very important philosophies. And that's why I love this company the most out of all the companies I've ever worked for. We are built on the concept of never settling. 
So no matter how good we get at anything, there is always space for better. And that comes from our founder and we never settle. And the second one, when we hire people, we hire them for their passion, drive and enthusiasm. I could care less about their experience in the job. If they have those three skills built in, I can teach them anything. So it's never settle and passion, drive and enthusiasm. It's a great way even for life, right? Right, exactly. For everything. Right. So you achieve these amazing goals in DC. You are now, as Mikhail said, world famous for opening this hotel. Now Chicago comes calling. How does that occur? And how do you end up in that iconic building in the city? So I think I did a, an okay job for the company in DC because when the position came open, I was already expressing my interest to have my own building. I told them that from when they hired me originally and they promised they will help me get there. Right. And when I was already working, we were opening the uh, Trump in Vancouver and I expressed my interest for that job. But then Chicago opened and I will never forget, it was a Thursday evening around seven o'clock and I get a call and they gave me this. That's it. They say you're here. You're coming to Chicago. Yeah. For someone to give you that chance, it's amazing. That's true. Yeah. So I came to Chicago. One, like you said at the beginning. So they tell me, do you want it? I'm like, okay. I typically talk to my wife about this or there was no time for that. So they say, because if you want it, you are starting Sunday morning. Wow. So it was a done deal. I don't, I will never forget going home and telling my wife, and the kids, and they're like, yeah, you can go on your own. We love Washington, D.C. There is nowhere moving to Chicago. You can go and commute. You can do whatever you want. And uh, I finally broke a deal with the kids on that Saturday. They say, okay, we will move to Chicago with one condition, if you buy us a dog. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. I, I hate dogs. I never want to have a dog in my life. And everything. So, uh-oh. You're here. I hear you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I closed the deal. I said, okay, we're getting a dog. Mm -hmm. And that's how I convinced them to actually move to Chicago. Beautiful dog. Yes. So I kept my promise. Mm -hmm. I moved in the fall. I had to commute for nine months. And once I finished with my commutes, when they came, they moved here in June after school. And I was looking for a dog. I wanted to surprise them right when they came. And I found a dog that they loved. And uh, that's Brownie. If you can show mm -hmm. a picture, Steve, that would be great. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but yes, yeah, so now here I am in Chicago, one of the most iconic buildings in the world, like you said, still one of the tallest structure made out of concrete. It's a 2.7 million square feet building. It's almost like a zip code, but instead of going white, it's going up. And, uh, you know, I don't know if anybody will give you a chance like that for a first time, number one, to manage a building like this, the, the Trump organization and the Trump family really takes care of their people and they took a chance on me and I don't think they regretted. Uh, it's been more than four years now and I don't think they regretted one bit. Uh, last year, believe it or not, during the pandemic, we had one of the most successful financial years since the building came up in 2008. So it's amazing. It's, it's an incredible building. I have an incredible team. I couldn't be more happy than my team. And again, I'm nothing without my team. Uh, but you know what? We hired and recruited together and put it together. Mm -hmm. Except this pandemic and dealing with all the shortages in staffing, we are really collecting our fruit for the hard work for so long. So 
I want to ask you one last question as we go, because you brought that up, right? It's a challenging time. A lot of people are leaving the industry. It's hard to find people across the country. We see it everywhere. And we need great people to be in this industry. How are you finding the right people or how are you creating the right people or how are you building that culture on your team just to continue uh, that? I mean, I think it's very hard to find people. It's a hundred times worse than it was before the pandemic. And it was hard at that time. Right. You have to take more risk and you have to invest a lot more. In terms of what? In terms of going out and finding people or promoting the, the brand or? In terms of talent. And when I'm talking about taking risks, I'm not talking hiring someone completely inadequate for the job. I'm not talking about settling and lowering your standards. Mm-hmm. But you got to keep looking. I'm going to give you an example. So we had an assistant front office manager position open for 18 months. Right. I've interviewed maybe 50 people. Wow. I couldn't hire one. So you are talking, we went through two full seasons and now the position is still open and I still don't have anybody for that position. We are short one for 18 months. And when we hire one, we lost one. So we're still short one. And that's the kind of challenges that we are dealing with. Uh, and I know it's not only Chicago or the US, it's it's worldwide. But I think we just lost so much, so much talent from our industry because hospitality is not easy job, it's a hard work. And people decided to take retail jobs, work for Amazon, work from home. Mm-hmm. And we lost so much talent pool that is gonna take years of people coming out of school. And it's gonna take years for leaders like you and me to sell this industry and to convince people to come back to this industry. It's gonna take years. And if we don't start now to go and advocate at all the schools and all the hospitality schools and look, as hard as our work is, is very rewarding. It helps you build character, mm-hmm. strengthen your, your qualities. It's very rewarding again. So we need to keep selling that and get people when they come out of school to want to work in here. Today, I'm excited to have my friend David Araya, the general manager of Six Senses Hotel Ibiza. Why don't you tell the listeners how you got to where you are now and where? Yeah, sure. Um, So, you know, here I was four months prior to the opening of of this property in Mexico. And I get a a message on Instagram. Um, Again, always on social media, you know, on Instagram from a friend that I'd worked with to open East Miami. And he'd done all the music creation and all the music curation for, for the program in Miami. And he said, hey, I'm sitting with some friends here in, in, in Ibiza. And we've been talking about you. They're looking for a GM. I think you need to have a conversation. And so I'm sitting in Mexico in the middle of pre-opening. And I said, thank you so much for thinking of me, but I'm busy. I'm, I'm in the middle of this, uh, this other project. And he replied back. He said, I think you need to have this conversation. And I said, okay, so what, it, what is it? You know, what are you talking about? And he said, well, it's Six Senses Ibiza. They just opened. They're looking for a GM. Um, things didn't work out for the previous GM, but they're looking for a GM. Um, why don't you just speak to them? And I said, okay, what do I have to lose? Let me just have a conversation. So I get on the call. You know, He's talking to me first. He says, I'm going to introduce you to this gentleman. He's the owner of the hotel. He's also the architect that built it. Extremely passionate gentleman creative. Why don't you have a conversation with him? I said, cool. You know, I knew of six senses very well. It was actually one of the other brands on, on that yep. list that I'd written a few, a few months back. And so, um, 
So yeah, so I have this conversation with the owner and I immediately tell him, thank you so much. It's very, very flattering. You want to speak to me, but I'm telling you right now, there's no way that I can leave right now. I'm in the middle of an opening. There's no way that this could happen, um, but I'm happy to you know, speak to you. Maybe I can refer you to somebody that I know that may be the right thing. So, you know, he asked me a few personal questions, talks to me a little bit about, you know, what drives me, my motivation, why I wake up every morning, what's your family like? You know, he doesn't talk to me at all about work, but it's all about me and my family, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I asked him a few questions about the hotel and what what was his vision, why did he do it and what inspired him. And um, we hit it off, really great conversation. Um, but then I said, thank you. It's been great meeting you again. I'm happy to refer a few people to, um, you know, your way. Um, um, but let me just look through my, my contacts and see what we've got. So, you know, we hang up the phone, uh, don't hear anything. The next day I get a call from the CEO of Six Senses, Neil Jacobs, and, and he says, hey, my phone's been buzzing all day. They're trying, they're all, they're all saying, I need to talk to you. What, you know, what's going on? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So I have a conversation and I tell him the exact same thing. And my conversation with him ends up saying, Hey, listen, you, you seem like an incredible fit for our brand. And we're in, in the middle of a crazy expansion. Why don't we keep in touch a few months later down the line, whenever the right time is maybe a year, who knows? know that there's a brand here that that fits your style and we would love to have a conversation that's where we left it um and then about a, a month later you know i'd forgotten about it completely a, a yeah. month where i get another call from this gentleman from neil jacobs and he says listen um the owners keep talking about you they want you on this project they're willing to wait if you're if you're willing to give them what that timeline is going to look like and they're willing to put somebody in in the, in between um just to hold the fort while while you're ready to go and, um, and so, you know, thought about it long and hard. Um, and, uh, you know, of course we went through a, a long process of conversation and my wife and I, Jessica and I were saying, this, is this the right move? Is it the right time? Are we doing the right thing? We just went through all of this, you know, it's, it's not an easy conversation. No, it's hard. In every regard, right. Um, with schools and with the other company, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, but when we saw what this project was and what it stood for and, what it was doing for the brand as a whole and the opportunities that would come with it. Um, you know, we, we ended up making the move and, and, and making the decision. And so we ended up, of course, waiting through the opening and getting through the opening. And, uh, and then I, I, I made the jump and, and left Auberge. And now I'm incredibly happy and, and fulfilled, I would say, with, with Six Senses because, you know, I kind of feel it all kind of comes full circle. And that, that one conversation I had at the very beginning at the Pierre it really rings true today in saying that, yes, you can find that right company. You know, I think, you know, you've followed me for, for years, Stephen, you've seen what I'm about and I'm very transparent and open in my communication of to what I care about, what I don't care about, what pisses me off, what makes me happy. And, yep. uh, and, and you see that this brand, uh, it really takes all the boxes from a values perspective for me. And, um, and that is really the most important thing. You know, I love that story and how you tied it back together to that conversation back in New York. And it's for, for listeners, look, Six Senses is a growing brand. Can you explain what that brand is? You know, maybe like the, the 30 or 60 second. Yeah. yeah. So, so Six Senses is, is an Asian based company uh, born in Thailand. And uh, it was really the first company that really involved uh, the guest in the sustainability journey, you know, and it would measure carbon footprints and it would have several touch points for the guests where they could really help make the world a better place. Taking a shorter shower, uh, avoiding amenities, uh, a really, really um, 
heavy green program for for housekeeping and it was really luxury travel but very sustainability driven and really intentional um and and mainly in in remote locations you know in in bali and the maldives and bhutan and you know oman and all these different locations mainly asia driven um but in the last few years there's been an expansion into europe particularly um and uh and 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 in and growth more into the luxury market um where you know the higher adrs have been kind of taking over the properties and we've done a lot of renovation in these properties and um you know so we're really still very very passionate about sustainability and wellness are two big pillars um but we also have this this kind of luxury approach now um and then recently in in the last few years ihg bought six senses um and and so they've we're now under the ihg umbrella but we're very fortunate to still have tons of autonomy as a brand to be able to have our own standards to be able to have our own style um and to be able to to um you know take advantage of what it's like to be in the, in this bigger family while still keeping our identity i love that and, and it's it's like i got a little goosebumps in my because i was just talking to my team about sustainability and hospitality and how people are searching for that and yeah are you seeing that where people for like first timers are resonating with people and that's why yeah. they're coming and you're growing is that what you see Absolutely. Absolutely. I think people are more conscious. Um, and I think people are understanding that sustainability isn't just about recycling. Sustainability is about how you interact with the community. It's about how you source. It's about what products you choose and why, right? It's about, you know, the, the idea of fork to table, farm to table, uh, you know, for us, is it's a literal thing. We have our own farm where we gather all the vegetables for the property and our, our guests can go and harvest those and then come back and enjoy them themselves. We have, you know, very, very intimate relationships with fishermen that come and provide us the product for us and specifically for us. Um, it, it's a very different way of life, you know, and, uh, you know, I tell my teams in orientation when they start, I say, you know, if you're the type of person that walks down the street and there's a piece of trash on the floor and you don't pick it up, then you don't belong here. You shouldn't be here, right? Because it's a way of life and, and you truly believe in it. And any opportunity you have to to recycle, to reuse, or or even to educate somebody on that, eh, then you do it, right? Like we don't turn lights off because we want to save money. We turn lights off because we know that it reduces our carbon footprint, you know, and that's that's just who we are. And, and, and that's how we we think of everything, you know, in all of our contracts with third parties, every single purchasing contract, there is a sustainability clause. And if they're not able to abide by that, then they can't work with us, right? Uh, we don't have any single use plastic around the property. Um, and it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money, but it's something mm -hmm. that they're so fervent and, and passionate about that, that um, you know, it, it, like, like I said, it's a way of life. Oh, I love it. And it's, it's hit me hard too, because, you know, I saw it here in Miami and our, I live on Biscayne Bay and there's a giant fish kill, all these dead fish. It's like, what can you do? And he's like, ah, oh, it's nothing. But then I started a coffee company and 10% of that coffee goes to help save the bay, 10% of sales. Right. So yes. I think more and more people can jump into this. And I love that we're talking about it because I just see it getting bigger and bigger out there. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, the ownership groups that are, you know, looking for products and, and for new brands to align to, uh, they look for the same thing, right? They they want more than just a money-making machine. They want, you know, in, intention and they want, you know, purity of intention, I think. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, I want to talk to you one last question. You've been all around the world, truly. 
you've seen all major cities. You have a fantastic family. And shout out to Jessica again for, for being there with David the whole time. Um, but if you were to go back and young David was starting at the south of France today and you had the chance to talk to him as if he was on your team, what advice would you give young David at that bar in the south of France? I would say, you know, be serious, but don't take yourself too seriously, I think is the thing that I would say. I was always trying to prove to people that I knew what I was doing. Mm. Um, and many times by trying to do that, I was trying too hard. And, you know, my ambition sometimes got the best of me because of that, because I was always trying to prove. And so I think it's trusting the process um, that things will, will come and you just have to trust the process and enjoy the process because I look, I look back and in many, in many of the steps of my career, I was grinding so hard and I was trying to be so ambitious to get to the next level, just to get to the next level that I didn't really enjoy those moments. And as my career progressed, I started enjoying them more and more and more. Um, and, and that's when things really came, fell into place uh, and I didn't force them into place. So I would say, yeah, trust the process and, and, and don't, don't always try to be, you know, the one that knows it all. It's impossible to be that person. Today, I'm very excited to have Amy Johnson, the general manager of the Confidant Miami Beach Hotel. So what was it like finally getting in that role, sitting in that chair that first kind of weekend at your office as a GM? Did you feel like, wow, I made the role that I wanted? Or was it just like, oh, I've been here this hotel before. They all know me, which is also a little weird. How did that feel when you, when you were there? Well, it was very emotional, actually, because I think, um, and you know, you've been in the business so many years. I mean, we might think we're going to be a GM, but the GM in a hotel, especially when you look at when we grew up in the business, it's kind of this iconic, I don't know, they're, they're you know, when you're a young leader, and yeah. I think back to my, and you know, I've been in the business 34 years, I mean, they're kind of godlike, right? They were Mr. or Mitt, well, it was, wouldn't have been a mess, but a Mr. for sure. Uh, and, and you just looked at them like they knew everything. And, uh, you know, kind of like we look at, at doctors or we look at that kind of thing. It was just, yes. to me, it was this, it was wow. Like, yeah, bigger than life sometimes. Bigger than life. They must yes. know everything, right? They, yes. They've got an answer for everything. And so, uh, you know, and you're used to working in one division or maybe two. And, and now, you know, uh, the week I went back was the week before, two weeks before Christmas in December. And they were having their holiday party and in the ballroom because the ballroom is there is massive. And I'm being introduced. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is like I got quite the clamp. I was like, this is this is wild. Like there's 50 people sitting in this room out of 180 colleagues that were colleagues with me on day one. It's amazing. It was amazing. And so. So it was uh, emotional, but extremely humbling to get up to that podium in front of everybody bringing a plus one, you know, over 400 people. And it was like a homecoming. I felt like the prodigal daughter returning, you know, because they'd never had a Canadian GM because, you know, because because we were Chicago based. The right. GM traditionally came out of out of the U.S. So, I mean, you know, now I'm coming back. They know me. I'm Canadian. It was just I mean, it was a it was a huge transition. So it was it was incredible to be in that role. Uh, and I think when you ask the question, when I always tell people, 
you know, I, as, as you know, when you're in your career running, you know, the F&B division, the group, whatever division, you know, people like us are the best at it and you find a way. Well, now, you know, your, your title is general manager and, you know, I'm not a generalist. So I just tried to run everybody's department and quickly within six months realized this is not how this works. Right. So, uh, you know, going through it and, and they were obviously very gracious and knew me. So it was a growing pains that everybody um, allowed me to go through. But I, I think that in that transition, I realized, OK, for us to get through this very challenging time in Calgary and in Alberta with the energy sector and what was going on, I needed to lead um, it was, and, and I needed to do that. So I, I think that the transition was, I think, at first a little clunky, but, you know, the the owner at the time pulled me aside. Um, you know, he's done extremely well in business, said to me, in the good times, Amy, you prepare for the bad and in the bad, you prepare for the good. And we're in a very challenging time. But please, please don't make short term decisions because this is going to be a long haul. This recession is going to be maybe five to six years based on the one we had before that was equally as difficult, it took six, seven years to get out. So please be mindful. And, you know, Steve, that's something that we don't always do in our business because we're having to manage, well, this month, this cost is up or down and you're making those decisions based on that month. And I, I remember walking away thinking, wow, that's, that's really awesome advice only to realize in the next year and a half how awesome it was. Uh, and the decisions we made to manage through that time, always through that lens and the impact of that. That's great advice, especially on what's going on now these last two years, right? A lot of people have made short-term decisions that have really hurt their brand and their hotels and their teams. Yes. And you can see the ones that took a longer-term view, now that you're saying it, are thriving. And they're the ones that are succeeding. It's interesting to see that play out. They are. And, you know, I think, Steve, what we didn't know at the beginning of this pandemic is what staffing shortages were going to come at the, on the other side of it. We just mm -hmm. thought, oh, we'll just hire everybody back and on we'll go. Uh, and on Miami Beach, very, very fortunate that we have the demand we have. And, you know, the hotels are running 90, 95 percent occupancy um, and, and, you know, tremendous demand. And now trying to find those people. But I think that you're you're correct in that when I look through the lens, when we closed during the pandemic, I thought, okay, this is going to be life-changing. There's no playbook. So what do we need to do? And, you know, the initial thought, everybody was just, you know, not keeping any of their salespeople. And I thought, no, but for sales, you're, you're selling for two years from now. Right. And no one thought for a minute we would still be having masks on or going through this two years from now. We, I mean, I think people thought it might go on, but maybe not to the extent it has. And so, I'm, no, 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 let's get creative in how we do that. Like, you know, let's let's figure out, you know, week on, week off. I mean, we tried every certain way to manipulate it to ensure that everyone could keep their their positions, yeah. but still meet the, the guideline you needed to meet, of course, financially and being fiscally responsible during a, a, a challenging time. And I think that helped us because when we came out and we took off, we were ready. Yeah. Uh, I think that's been extremely positive. So I want to come back to that. But before we jump to what's happening in Miami Beach, you're in Calgary. You're, you know, the chosen one coming back home, <laughs> I could say in Calgary. But now you come to my hometown and in Miami Beach. How did that part occur when you make that transition from being the first time GM to now second time, but coming to 
a completely different place. You know, Miami Beach and, and Calgary are, I think you could say, complete opposites. How did that occur? Well, I, I think there were many, many factors. When we were in Calgary going through that recession and having to, you know, go through all of those pieces, uh, of course, people were looking at our percentage of improvement on profitability. Uh, and, and we were one of the very best in the region. Uh, not dollar-wise, of course, because you're in a recession, but just that shows you that you've gained an efficiency and you've scaled a model that's workable at 70% or 30% occupancy. So I think as we went through that and then started to work on the customer service scores, all of the metrics were moving in the right, uh, right way. And uh, this hotel here in Miami Beach, uh, being a, a Hyatt asset, you know, I was hand selected uh, to come and be at the confidant. Um, I think for many reasons, right? I mean, obviously I had lots of very good relationships at the corporate office from my time there. Uh, and what the, the need was for us to continue to build on the successes of the hotel, we just added a, a fair amount of meeting space, uh, especially for Miami Beach and beautiful meeting space and ballrooms. So we were looking to transition the group side of our business also looking to grow the transient side uh, and then to change the, the service culture. So, you know, I think that hand selection happened when, you know, it was the regional teams that said, hey, why don't we bring Amy back? Look what's happened in Calgary. But that can translate uh, over here and maybe collaboratively we can continue this, this success uh, here. And so when the person I replaced transitioned, uh, that's how that happened. And it worked out very, very well uh, to come here. And we're rebuilding the, the team in, in Miami. But yeah, I can tell you, Steve, it was a, a market like none other. It was, it was, it's a transition to come here because I think Miami Beach, to me, you know, when I explained it to my family in Canada, I said, it's a little bit like Vegas without the casino because it doesn't sleep. It's very uh, multicultural, it's amazing ethnicity. The focus on food and beverage and nightlife, uh, having fun, uh, you know, the, the beach feel, uh, just the, the feel of Miami Beach is, is very different. And I think the demand is, is a destination, right? And I think when you look at the US, you know, people select Hawaii and then select the brand. They select Miami Beach, then they find a brand that works. They select Vegas and then find a brand. I can't say that about any other place when you look at that through that lens of both leisure and group business, maybe maybe a little bit Orlando, but really those three have some similarities from the selection process. And, and I think the demand doesn't seem to impact us what's happening in the rest of the country because people just love coming here, whether it's Latin America, Europe, drive traffic. And so it's been an interesting, uh, an interesting journey for me to understand the pricing, how it works on the beach, uh, and the culture of the beach. And you know, I feel more at home here than lots of cities uh, in the US because I think Miami is a beautiful place because it accepts every culture because there's so many of them. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you, you just hear when I'm running on the boardwalk after work, I hear like eight languages as I'm running by. Like it's it's really fantastic. And I think that's what makes this such an amazing city. When it comes to food and beverage, it comes to the restaurants, it comes to our art scene, theater. It truly is all the great things in one place. 
It's true. And, you know, for people who have not been here, I use my dad's joke. So my dad's from North Carolina. His friends ask him, how is it living, you know, in Miami, Miami Beach? Like, I love it here. It's so close to the United States. Right. That's his <laughs> that's his go to dad joke that I have now taken over as being a father. So that's I use awesome. that. But it's true. And you're doing some amazing things at at the Confidant Hotel. And for listeners, if you haven't checked it out, you should go look at the website because there is a beautiful setting that she has there and she's making some amazing things happen. So what's on the horizon now for you? Cause you, like you talked a little bit about the pandemic really challenging. You've come out of it now, everywhere I look, there's cranes going up, constructing new things. There's more and more people coming. How do you see things for you and, and your team at the hotel? Well, I, I think for us, the year of, of 2022, we we've kind of uh, I think settled on one word, Steve is our mantra and it's going to be stability. Uh, I, I think it's so important in these times for for us to know our business. Of course, in hotels, you have ownership, you have you have corporate teams supporting everyone's there, but they're expecting us to know what's the best thing for the hotel. And I think finding stability for our teams is going to be critical, making sure the staffing levels are as they should be and really supporting the success and rewarding them. Uh, it's a challenging time to be in the service business, whether it's hotels, airlines, uh, retail. And, and so I think that stability is going to be a focus of all the leaders in the hotel because I want our colleagues to feel how much we care for them and appreciate them coming every day and, and showing up uh, and, and being here with their, being them best, how do we make, how do we help them be their best selves? And so that stability and finding the right people in the right roles at the right time is going to be our number one focus for 2022. Uh, again, being fortunate in Miami Beach, Steve, with our demand, business is coming our way and we're very blessed uh, to have that. So now it's focusing on on our, our people even more than we ever have and giving back to them and, and creating that um, great place to work where, you know, they get to go on stage, but they get to have fun and fun is key. And I think the going through the pandemic we, we lost some fun. And how do we bring fun back? And, and I think that's, that's a really important piece for every leader in our building right now is how do we bring fun back? God, I love that. Your team is lucky to have you there. You know, I think that's going to be great for them to see, to really get back to that fun. Because that really did get sucked out. And I felt it um, yeah. a lot, too. In every hotel, you see it. There's a little bit of stress. But putting that fun back in makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've had this amazing journey of a career, right? You have traveled the world. You're GMs of some beautiful hotels. But if you were talking to Amy at the baseball camp, she's starting her career today. What advice would you give young Amy if she was starting out now? I, I would say a couple things. Uh, and I, I touched on it earlier, Steve. But I think that I would say each, each, of your, each of your steps as you go along in your journey uh, even if it means you you maybe move out of the industry and back into the industry, they're all building blocks and they're all critical to your development. And it may not seem relevant at the time, and that's okay. Uh, take the good and, and continue on. But I can guarantee that at some point you'll be in a difficult decision or a challenging situation. And you're going to look back and draw on each of those things and realize, ah, okay, I didn't realize I learned that then, but now I have it and I can apply it here. Uh, so I think that's that's a, a good thing. And I think the other piece is it's important to be present, be curious, listen and ask great questions. 
when you're learning through your career, uh, you know, the thing that's happened for us, Steve, that's different for our young leaders coming up, we didn't have devices the same way. We didn't have things at our fingertips. You could Google everything. You know, you and I had to find it a different way. That's, that's both are great. I, I think though, that when you're, when you're learning, it's, it's being attention to the present moment and asking great questions and really listening. Uh, I think it's really important as a leader with young leaders to be present. Uh, and if we're, if we're not good listeners, we can't ask curious questions. And I think those curious questions are critical to our learning because what it does is it, 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 helps you build your creativity and and everyone has different levels of creativity but it's that creativity that makes the this industry so much fun uh and it and it keeps the fun in it and we're here to create magical experiences for people on vacation especially on miami beach this podcast is brought to you by biscayne coffee biscayne coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome. 